Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Monday edition of Just for Sport. Jamoke Davis here. We are live for the Props Network on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. You can join the conversation. A lot to talk about today. Uh, and, and, and there's so many topics that I want to get into. I, I feel like we cannot possibly get all of this done in one hour. One, because I talk too much. Two, because we got Ben on the show, and we're going to talk to him about college football. You know, Bo knows college football. Bo will be on the show. And we also will have a special guest, one of my guys, Dexter Henry. Will be coming on the podcast. I'm looking forward to having him. He hosts his own part of the podcast. Ain't hard to tell. So we will have him on to talk about the NBA. And of course, we can't have any show in sports and not talk about the Masters. And the weekend that was down in Augusta. It was uh, kind of a magical performance. Uh, masterful performance. Is, is what it was. And we will talk about Dustin Johnson and his dominance. And of course, week 10 in the NFL. There's a lot that went on that we will get into. And Major League Baseball, Miami Marlins, uh, actually, as we are going live uh, for sports fans, especially those that are in baseball, they're going live with the press conference for the Miami Marlins new new hire making history in Major League Baseball and history for the Miami Marlins and hiring Kim Ang to uh, be the new general manager of that team. First woman uh, to be running a major sports team, period, period. In all of sports, she's the first one. It's going to be exciting to see what she does. And Derek Jeter's already made news as well. So we'll get into him. We'll get into the Marlins as well. Um, but first, of course, we're going to talk about National Football League Week 10 in the NFL. What you enjoyed about it, uh, you can you can chat with me. We have our live chat going now. So if there's anything you want to talk about or want me to talk about, rather, we can, we can go back and forth on the chat. But it is an exciting day uh, for me because uh, the Washington football team lost again. And that means that, look, we don't need the Jets to win that many games. But if we're ever going to have a chance to get Trevor Lawrence, I mean, in many ways, we got to get the, the Jets to win one or two. But the Washington football team was respectable. But we're not going to start there. We're going to start with the Hale Murray. That's right, the Hale Murray of the Arizona Cardinals beating the Buffalo Bills 32-30. to 30. And we can fast forward through the entire game and just talk about that catch by DeAndre Hopkins. He, We know, or for those of you who may not know, he's got some basketball hops. And even in his post-game press conference, he talked about, uh, made some basketball references. But he had some hops. And he was basically flanked by three Buffalo Bills defenders and in the hail Murray still comes down with the ball for the touchdown and the win. But it was a wild game. My man, Larry Fitzgerald, 
from the University of Pittsburgh. He's been playing with the Cardinals his entire career. He dropped his first pass since 2018. 2018, people, he dropped his first pass. It was crazy. Kenyon Drake, 100 yards rushing, and as I call it, the Hail Murray. Kyler Murray played very well. Completed 22 of 32 passes for 245 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But the way he was able to get out of the way of the hands of the Buffalo Bills defenders on that last scramble was just something to marvel at. Running to his left at almost a 50-yard line and still being able to gather himself enough to heave it with his right arm. Remember, running left, throwing with his right arm, almost falling out of bounds to get the ball into the end zone and just put it up. And just, you know, realistically, hey, it's a hope and a prayer. And as they really call it, the Hail Mary throw. DeAndre Hopkins, I I just, I don't know how he was able to come down with that. And it was a really good game from the Buffalo Bills, right? I mean, they scored 30 points, so it wasn't like they're no slouch in, in this equation. But it was, it was just a game to watch, and I I was seeing it unfold on the red zone, and you know uh, the greatness that is uh, Hanson, uh, forgetting his first name on the red zone. I love watching NFL red zone. It is one of the best ways to watch the NFL. You see everything inside of the red zone that twenty yard line. They're cutting in between games. So you can watch your team at home, but you also have the red zone and keeping up with what else is going in the NFL. And the bottom line is with fantasy football, it's a new day. You're not just watching your home team anymore. You're watching everything, everything. And that's what I was doing. Three defenders around DeAndre Hopkins, and he comes down with that. I would say it's arguably the best game of 2020 so far. It has to be. And it's crazy to think that the Cardinals have been involved in two of those games, the other one's against the Seahawks. But I just, I mean, are you amazed at what the Cardinals are doing? I'm amazed at what the Cardinals are doing when you think about, when you think about the fact that no one expected the Cardinals to be here. No one expected Kyler Murray. The Cardinals are 6-3. and three. They are tied with the Seahawks at the top of the NFC West. And then you still got the Rams right there too, right? So it's really three teams in the NFC West. But the team you never expected it to be is for the Cardinals to be up there. And they're playing well. And and I'm just amazed. I'm amazed at Kyler Murray, what he's able to do, the diminutive quarterback that he is. You know, everybody wondered, ooh, I don't know if you really want to stake your entire team in Kyler Murray as a quarterback. And it's not that he's proven himself 100%. It's the team. The way the team is structured, the fact that you've got a super vet in Larry Fitzgerald on one side, DeAndre Hopkins on the other, you got Drake as a running back, but realistically what you've got is Murray, 
who, if he was just a running back, would be in the top top 10 in the NFL in running backs. But he's your quarterback. And what he can do on the field has just been amazing. And, you know, defense isn't ranked that high, but they do what they have to do to help this team stay in games. And that's the thing. Not only did they get 200 yards on the ground against the Buffalo defense, but they played well late enough to stay in the game. And that's what's important. That's what's important. Now, in another team, what's important, I did watch that New England Patriots game, and you know they got to win over the Baltimore Ravens. I thought the Baltimore Ravens, you know, they've got some struggles. But the big game for me after that is, you know, you look at what the New Orleans Saints, what the New Orleans Saints were able to do last week in that drubbing of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you think, okay, maybe the Saints are the best team in the NFL. Maybe that's the team that we should be looking at. And we got too caught up in Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks and not giving enough attention to the Seattle Seahawks. But because of how bad the Saints beat up on the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you kind of put them at the top. And they won their game over San Francisco 27-13. But then when you hear about Drew Brees, the future Hall of Fame quarterback, he took a you know, in in the first half, and he finished out the quarter, but Jameis Winston finished the game. And, you know, Drew Brees has a rib injury that now you're like, okay, what are you going to do here? You've got Alvin Kamara, who had three touchdowns, 98 yards from scrimmage, and you can rely on him some. And Jameis Winston... For all intents and purposes, he wasn't, it's not like he was a awful quarterback when he was in Tampa Bay. I think it was more he was up and down. You weren't sure what quarterback you were going to get. He threw 30 touchdowns, 30 plus touchdowns in Tampa Bay, but he also threw 30 interceptions. It was just like, okay, well, if we can get. Tom Brady and Tampa, then yeah, we're not going to go with Jamison. But now you've got Jamison Winston, um, Jameis Winston. You've got Taysom Hill, who also can come in as well. He's a runner. He adds a different dimension. If Drew Brees can still play and he may or may not play next week, I'm sure if it's Drew Brees, he's going to want to play. You've got a situation where he is going to be the cog in the wheel for the Saints. And if you lose that cog and, yeah, it's easy to just say, no, it's not just that he's crucial for success with the Saints, but it's – 
I look at the backup situation and then you say, okay, well, this is going to be patchwork. You don't know who you're going to bring in, when and how. And I think that's what you're dealing with here in the Saints. And it'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the week. But, you know, and if Drew Brees is going to be able to play. But the bottom line is it was great to see the Saints still get a win. And they're finding a way. They're going to have to find a way to get it done just like they did on Sunday. And it may not be pretty. It may not be pretty but they're going to have to find a way to get it done. Now, a player who I am sure in many ways, no one is happy with this game if you are in the betting world, right? If you're in the betting world, you are not happy with that 10-7 outcome that the Browns eked out in a win. And we all know why. Because the greatness, that is Nick Chubb, who had a chance to extend the lead. If all he would do is just run in the end zone at the end of the game. But instead, Nick Chubb, comes in the game and steps out at the one. And guess what? Guess what the Browns don't do? The Browns don't cover. It was a 4.5 spread. Nick Chubb had a 59-yard run to seal the game and cover the spread. And he steps out at the one. And that's got to hurt. It was third and three. little over a minute left to go in the game. He's running up the sideline. I'm sure everybody who had money on that game is betting. That had money on that game is thinking, okay, he's going to score here. We cover. We win. And no, he steps out at the Texans one-yard line. And no one was around him. That's the funny part about it that there was no one around him and he still stepped out of bounds. And there you go. There you go. And I was quite amazed to see the vitriol online of the people that were upset with him for not running in. And I think that was just hilarious. It's just hilarious. Williams Sportsbook, 89% of the money bet on the sports, sports, excuse me, bet on the point spread was on Cleveland. It was on Cleveland. And I just feel for everybody that I, I know that I already have my bad beat up. Here comes Bo for the season. But this was, this might have been right up there, Bo. This was pretty bad. Didn't wasn't there one in uh, the Buffalo game as well? Didn't the Cardinals go for two at the end of the game, and the Bills ended up covering two and a half? I I I didn't I didn't read that. 
Um, you're 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 giving me something that I did not read. That is quite interesting too. Um, but I guess I got so caught up in the Nick Chubb because it was an easy decision for him to make. Um, and it's almost like I know the conspiracy theorists will say, "Oh, he did it on purpose. Like he knew what the line was." But so be it. But but apparently that's well, what you're saying in that game. I mean. It's the it's the complete opposite of what we saw with Todd Gurley a few weeks ago, where I mean it, it's a different crowd, of course, now that's attacking him. Before it was, you know, all of the the common sense Monday morning quarterbacks around the NFL going after Gurley for slipping into the end zone at the end of that Lions game, and now you have Nick Chubb coming back and making the smart move and ensuring um, that uh, ensuring that. Uh, that the Browns actually do win that game. Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, it's like if you're if you're a fan of the Browns, I think for him to step out of bounds is also sad mm-hmm. because I think you just want to celebrate more. You just want to score. So Nick Chubb didn't just hurt people who bet on him, but I feel like. Any Cleveland fan is like, yes, Nick Chubb, great run, score a touchdown. And then it's just like, oh, okay, I guess you're not going to score a touchdown. It just seems really bizarre to me. But, okay, Um, it is what it is. And bad beats are always fun. And I think in the end, it's going to be the worst beat. Um, for the Cleveland Browns. But then again, I guess they won. But any Cleveland, any fan who bet on Cleveland, that, that may have hurt because it was just an easy layup. Um, I got one more talking before we go to college football. Um, Alex, by the way, by the way, I, yeah. there, there was a failed two-point conversion at the end of that Cardinals game, which would have made it a four-point game. Instead, the Cardinals win by two. Bills cover two and a half. Okay. So, I mean, that was... I, like the entire team was involved in that. So to me, that makes it somewhat okay because it's not like in in the Browns game where he could easily, easily just walk right in. And he didn't. He didn't. Okay. So let's talk about um, the Washington football team. And I just want to say that I am in disbelief that, one, I mean, how can you lose to the Lions? Of all teams to lose to, you lose to the Lions on a 59-yard walk-off field goal by Matt Prater. Chase Young, you know, gifting them with his penalty, unfortunately. But at the same time, I don't want Washington to win. And I know it's a long shot that they have a chance to get Trevor Lawrence. But this team needs so much help that I am okay with them continuing to lose. Okay? And let's get the highest draft pick that Washington football team can. That's I'm cool with that. But nearly two years to the day after suffering a leg injury that may have ended Alex Smith's career. 
he was the starting quarterback for the Washington football team. Now, not only did they lose to Detroit, but it wasn't like they were playing well. They were down 24 to 3. So this team was sneaking up to join anyway. And Alex Smith wasn't playing at his best. But then magically, he started playing well. And, you know, it's Washington came all the way back. 24 and answered points. It was just a, a wild game. Three consecutive touchdowns. It just, I am just amazed to see him on the field and you think every, every play, you don't know what's going to happen with Alex Smith and him maybe getting hit and getting injured again and no one wants that. He completed 38 of 55 pass attempts for 390 yards. His greatest game ever. His greatest game ever. They were down three with 237 to play. And Alex Smith had two great passes on a on a two really a two-minute drill. Dustin Hopkins with the field goal that was supposed to send the game to overtime. And Buffalo somehow wins. I mean, Detroit somehow wins the game. And I'm okay with that. Also because two of my buddies are Detroit Lions fans. Shout out to Darren Jenkins and Jeremy Hyman. So I'm sure that they were happy. But I was just happy. And I think we will forever be happy with Alex Smith under center. If whatever happens, he's okay. That's the main thing is that He's okay. He's not injured. Because what I want to see, if we have to go with Alex Smith the rest of the season, which will not be good, because that also, I don't want them to win. So if Alex Smith can't win, is he any better than Kyle Allen or uh, the unfortunate debacle uh, in Washington of just, I don't know. The quarterback situation is just not going to be great. And if Alex Smith can't win, then that wonderful story just is not going to be great. And Dwayne Haskins, well, for who, I mean, I guess he's a play away from getting back in the game, but it's just overall, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And the Eagles are three and five. Giants is are three and seven. Washington's two and seven. I just feel like the NFC East shouldn't even have a representative in the playoffs, but they're going to. And I just want one of those teams to end up over 500. Please, please end up over 500, or they will be the laughing stock. Packers win. They're 7-2. and two. Bills lose. They're still atop the AFC East, but they've got the Dolphins breathing, breathing down their neck. The Titans have fallen back after losing when they had that uh, still undefeated clash with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've lost three games in a row, so they fall back. And the Colts took care of business against the Titans, so they're both 6-3 and three at the top of their division. AFC North, the Steelers win again. They're 9-0. and oh. 
So they continue their record-setting season. And Ben Roethlisberger, who, you know, you were worried about COVID-19, he was able to play. So that's good news for the Steelers as they continue to win and are the best team in the National Football League. And right behind them are the Kansas City Chiefs at 8-1. and So um, it's going to be fun. We're over the halfway mark of the season. It's been great so far. We, you know, we knew we were going to have some issues with the with COVID-19. I mean, technically it's week 10. Uh, so in some ways it's, you know, it's more than halfway over. But, you know, with some of the COVID uh, changes, it's it's uh we're at we're at the ninth week not nine games most teams have only won nine games so far and uh it's going to be fun to see how the season unfolds we've got minnesota chicago tonight and that's going to be quite a game and i'm supposed to be given a prediction for it and i don't know what to think of these two teams Why? Because I think what you have is a team in the Bears who at the beginning of the season, you know, when they beat the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Chicago, it was like, ooh, are the Bears for real? I don't know. And now you've got the Vikings. Then you had the Vikings who've won, what, three games in a row? And you don't know where they are. You've got the Vikings favored at minus three and a half, over under at 43 and a half. Money line Vikings at minus 186, Bears plus 160. So I feel like when I look at this game, it's at 8.15 tonight on ESPN. Where do you rank these two teams? The last game, the Bears won by two, 21 to 19. Neither one of the offenses are good. You've got the Vikings at 26, the Bears at 31. But it's that Bears defense that are at, they're ranked eighth. And the Minnesota Vikings are ranked 17th. And that's what I look to when I think of who's going to win this game in Chicago. It's cold. My initial instinct is to say it's the Bears. But I'm going to give you some stats to help you make an informed decision. The Bears have lost three straight games after starting the season five and one. Vikings have won three straight. Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football does not play well. Nine losses, no wins. Nine losses, no wins. And the best that I can give you, best that I can give you, since 2000, 20 years, the Vikings are 4-16 and 16 on the road 
against the Bears. So in the end, uh, giving you the only three stats you need to make an informed decision. And I know one is like 50-50 because Vikings have won three in a row. Bears have lost three in a row. But I think in the end, I'm taking the Bears. I'll take that plus three and a half. And I'm going to take the under at 43 and a half. And, yeah, I I guess that's it. I guess that's it. That's my pick. Bears to win. Take the plus three and a half. That's what I'm going to do. All right, coming up. We're going to talk college football. Bo knows college football. But first, first, we are on the Props Network. Are you located in a state with legal online sports betting? Don't make a bet this season before you visit thepropsnetwork.com. Thepropsnetwork.com has you covered with free bets and special bonus deals from all the top U.S. online sports books. You can get $30 in free bets and up to $600 risk-free bets at Unibet. Or you can claim up to $1,000 signing bonus bundle from DraftKings Sportsbook or try points bet sportsbook with four risk-free bets totaling up to $1,000 using the promo code bonus props. The Props Network is the only, the only sports betting news site with live NFL odds for every game, including Monday night. So you can shop the comps and know you are getting the biggest payout possible before you lock in your bet. Do your bankroll a favor and check out thepropsnetwork.com. You must be 21 and over to bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. All right, we're talking college football here. And the biggest thing for me is we bring in Bo. Bo knows college football. Bo, my biggest concern is not the scores. Not the scores, but the number of games that were canceled due to COVID. What is yeah. your thoughts? Am I overreacting in this no. or, or the fact that I'm looking down and I'm like, oh, canceled, 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 canceled. I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think of all the games that were canceled. What are your thoughts on 15, what happened this weekend? 15 games canceled. 15. 15 games canceled. Three of the top five teams. Your number one team in Alabama didn't play. Your number three team didn't play in Ohio State and Maryland. Your number five team, Texas A&M, didn't play. They're not going to play again this week as it was just announced that Ole Miss and Texas A&M canceled again for this week as it seems the Aggies have some serious problems. First issues here at home for me as Pitt and Georgia Tech both get postponed due to issues in both programs. It's certainly concerning. It's certainly something that needs to kind of be addressed as we move forward for the rest of this college football season. When you have a team like Alabama that, you know, is trying to assert itself, when you have a team like Ohio State, when it comes to the Big Ten schedule, which we've discussed a lot, there's a lot of concerns over the fact that, look, these teams aren't going to get to, you know, play their full schedules. You know, who knows if Alabama is going to be able to reschedule this game with LSU, a rivalry game, a game that everybody wants to see. 
who knows? Ohio State's not going to be able to play this game with Maryland. You know, jokingly, I kind of put it out, look, this is probably a good thing, right? They don't have to go up against the powerhouse of Talia Tagovailoa, who has been having such an impressive season in his first year with Mike Loxley and the Terps. But it's, you know, for teams that want to contend for championships, it's certainly, you know, going to be a thorn in their sides as they have to continue to deal with these cancellations and continue to kind of make the best they can. And I think when you do look at a college football, you know, weekend schedule and you see 15 games canceled, I think five or six top 15 teams, including, you know, teams like Coastal Carolina, you know, that are trying to really get into it and they're not playing. And it really is starting to be a concern. And I think as we see, you know, monstrous numbers and cases across the country and really across the world as this kind of winter spike hits, mm-hmm. whether or not this season actually finishes, I think is starting to become a major concern. I think, you know, you want to go completely off topic, whether or not the college basketball season is able to start on time. We just heard the NCAA announce today that, you know, any March tournament would take place in a single location, likely Indianapolis, how these sports continue to play out their seasons. It's going to have to be addressed yet again, as cancellations and cases continue to rise. And, and it's funny and that you bring up college basketball. Like we would be starting, you know, kind of like almost last week. Yeah. It, 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 games would have tipped off last week. They're supposed to tip off nine days from now. And to I think mean, that how- we're going to get maybe half a season. I mean, I know they're talking about vaccines and, you know, one company's vaccine is like 95% ready, you know, who knows, but, I think that when you look at not only to your point that the season may not get finished, but if you're talking about trying to find some kind of a championship, it's almost like each one of these conferences is going to have to consider some sort of bubble to finish the season and just have everything the rest of the season in one place. You know, I'm throwing it out there, but let's say if, you know, and, and I think almost whoever is the better team, I'm sure they're going to say if you're looking at a Cincinnati, oh, well, we're undefeated. So everyone in the American Conference should come to us and the bubble should be where we are so that we can play home games because we are the best team. I think there's so many dynamics that are that are going to go into this that I don't know if there's a real answer for. And if I roll that into the concerns that you brought up as well, can we just crown Alabama? Can we just say, look, Alabama's the best team, and and that's that? I mean, at this point, you can't because it, I think Ohio State deserves a shout. I think Notre Dame, as much as, again, it pains me to say it, I think they deserve a shot. I think Clemson, a fully formed Clemson team, you know, with some of the defensive losses – that they put up with in that Notre Dame game. You can talk about Trevor Lawrence versus Uyang Galele as well. But, you know, there are multiple championship contenders that still deserve a shout. And, you know, again, we'll see if Alabama not being able to put up 70 on a porous LSU defense (laughs) this year is going to affect them. I'm sure LSU is perfectly happy to let that game slide, get another week off as they tried to rebuild in this year. But this is a concern because I don't think, I mean, just from a general point of view, 
you can't look at this season and say, okay, there's clearly one best team Mm -hmm. because Alabama looks like it right now, but who knows what happens if they would have to go up against Justin Fields and Ohio state that Ryan day, isn't going to get the chance to have his team really prove themselves outside of the big 10, because, you know, if you're only playing seven games plus the big 10 championship, who knows if that's going to be enough to get them into the playoff in a year where BYU is absolutely wiping the floor with everybody. If Cincinnati really has a shout, uh, you know, if you have two ACC teams in Notre Dame and Clemson being playoff worthy, who knows how that scheduling issue is going to affect Ohio State and their championship pedigree at the end of the season. I don't think you can simply coronate Alabama right now. I And, and I know I, I was kind of being facetious, but I, I – if you are thinking that you're going to have a season and these tests keep happening and the postponements, obviously, you know, Alabama LSU was postponed. Uh, if you're a team like a Maryland and you had a chance to play Ohio state, whether you were going to win or lose that game and, 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 or rather people are going to say, there's no way Maryland was going to win. It's almost unfair to say, but it doesn't matter. Bottom line is you didn't give us a chance to play the game. And so I just feel like at some point it's going to be a thing where we're going to have to end it and just say, okay, let's just move to the playoffs now, get these teams in a bubble so that we can have some semblance of a championship. Which honestly I I don't think is the worst idea I've heard. No, because the thing is, I mean, what? They were going to be done in December as it is, right? So why try to pl- make up some of these games in December versus saying, let's just stop it now. Let's get the top 10 in a bubble and make sure they're good. And, you know, and then maybe they can play again in January. I mean, that seems kind of crazy, but we're, they're going to have to come up with something weird and uh, bizarre in order yeah. to find a way to finish out the season. I think I, I, I do agree. I think we are going to have to see some sort of, you know, out of the box, perhaps in the bubble sort of solution if this season is going to finish in any sort of, you know, traditional manner by being able to crown a champion through a playoff through, you know, maybe maybe it is an expanded playoff where you get the top eight teams into a bubble and kind of go from there. We'll see. But there's certainly a lot of questions about whether or not this college football season is going to finish right now. Um, and speaking of how the college football season is going to end, um, as you know, college football, who is Liberty? Where the heck did they come from that they are ranked 22nd? And I'm looking at this score and I'm, and I'm just like, okay, they played well, but 58 to 14 over Western Carolina, they're beating teams like they're Alabama, but they're Liberty. Who knows about Liberty? Give me Liberty. Well, I mean, Liberty is such an intriguing team this season in college football because you have Hugh Freeze, of course, the former Ole Miss head coach who was let go because of all sorts of issues off the field, NCAA violations, you know, other violations I don't want to get into into on this somewhat family-oriented show. <laughs> um, but he, you know, you've seen a lot of coaches – go to say the Nick Saban school of reconditioning where you have guys like Steve Sarkeesian, guys like Mike Loxley who, you know, don't work out perhaps at previous jobs. They come to work for Saban guys like Lane Kiffin, um, the current Ole Miss head coach, of course, they kind of rehash their image. They 
you know, recalibrate and kind of learn from the best in the business. Hugh Freeze took a different approach. He said, look, I'm going to go to this small little Baptist school in Virginia that is, you know, of course, you've got all the off the field stuff when it comes to the Falwell family and everything going there when it comes to politics and whatnot. I'm not even going to touch that third rail. <laughs> but what they do have is a coach in Hugh Freeze who is a good football coach. He's proven that wherever he's been. It's whether he can kind of manage the off the field issues, which is why kind of Liberty with all the distractions pre-built in was kind of almost a perfect setup for him. And now we're going to start hearing the name Hugh Freeze connected maybe with a South Carolina who just let go Will, Will Muschamp. Maybe, you know, out of the blue, who knows what happens up at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. Hugh Freeze is going to be in the conversation for a move back somewhere because of the success he's been able to put up with Liberty despite – you know, all of the extenuating circumstances, everything he's had to go through at that university, he has Liberty rolling. They're undefeated, and they're not just undefeated picking off small teams. They've played a decent schedule. They have a good relationship with the ACC. They went and beat uh, Virginia Tech. They're going to play NC State in this upcoming week if it doesn't get postponed. We'll see if, you know, they they went and beat Syracuse earlier uh, in the season we will have to see, you know, I think this NC State game is going to be a really good test for Liberty. They've already proved they can get past a ranked Virginia Tech team. Can they get past a rolling NC State team? I think it's going to be a good test for them. But right now, the Flames are absolutely hot, and Hugh Freeze has that team cooking. And the sad thing about that is, okay, so Syracuse and Virginia Tech and, and now NC State on upcoming schedule, it's not like they're Clemson or Notre Dame. But originally right. when the ACC was saying, oh, we're only going to play ACC teams, now they, because of this relationship, they let Liberty get in, and Liberty's basically made a name off of beating ACC teams. That if you didn't yeah. put that in there, they probably wouldn't even be ranked in the top 25 yeah. anywhere near exactly. it, right? There's, there's three teams. There's three teams now in the ACC that had Liberty as their one out-of-conference game. And now they have At basically this point, elevated Liberty's at this point, Liberty is almost as much of a member of the ACC as Notre Dame. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you might as well think about it. You took the words out of my mouth. It was like, okay, but hopefully Notre Dame will stay in the ACC next year. Uh, any other notes uh, that you would like to share from this college football uh, half, of a, half of a weekend, in my mind, and, and looking yeah. ahead to the next weekend? I mean, it, it was certainly an interesting weekend. You know, we saw a, a lot of fascinating results, a lot of high-scoring games. Um, you know, Notre Dame handled business against Boston College. They looked like an actual contender. You, of course, had, you know, still in the ACC, you had UNC and Wake Forest in a shootout. Cincinnati handled their business. Marshall won on the 50th anniversary of that deadly plane crash. But how about Wisconsin? You know, three weeks off again due to COVID cancellations, due to issues with their quarterback, Graham Mertz, as well as their coach, Paul Christ. They come back and they stomp Michigan. And how about Penn State? Penn oh, State. And four. Penn State. How about that? They're mighty quiet over there in Who's, Happy Valley. Quite sad, I'm sure. I think, I think, I think Penn James Franklin has to be ecstatic with given where Michigan is right now. Because if, you know, Jim Harbaugh's seat wasn't heating up as much as it is, James Franklin's seat might be the hottest in the country. Yeah, almost definitely. 
Uh, it, but I'm happy about it. Of course, next weekend, we'll talk on Thursday about this great matchup between Indiana, who's got to prove that they are legit against Ohio State. We'll get into that on Thursday show. Thanks, Bo. Coming up next, we're going to talk more Masters with you, so you might as well stay on, right? Yes, Bo knows golf too, and he's going to be talking some golf with us after this quick read. Bet MGM is the new online sports book that is taking over the online betting nation. Not only does BetMGM offer some of the industry's strongest weekly promos, this week at BetMGM, you can get a free $20 in-play wager when you bet $50 or more in any live NFL game. We got a great one tonight between the Vikings and the Bears. Or you can get up to $100 in free bets in the free-to-play first pick three first touchdown NFL challenge and as always, you'll get $10 free of $10 free bet in the Money Monday Club. And it's Monday. But that's not all. Right now, BetMGM has a special signing bonus for the Fox Network listeners. All you have to do is create a new account at BetMGM and use the code JUSTFOR20 to get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $500. That's right. Just enter code JUSTFOR20 and up to a $500 bonus bankroll is yours. Must be 21 or over to bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. So we're talking the Masters. A wild, thank you, Bo's back on with us. Thank you for uh, that college football analysis. Now we're going to talk some golf. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. It was boring. And I know I'm wrong. And I'm probably not the right person to say that. But for the number one player in the world, who, by the way, uh, has never won the Masters, and how many wagers has he won, Bo? Only his second major. So how are you number one in the world if you're not dominating, right? Well, he's been dominating the last year. Every, everything other for, than. Except, except for the U.S. Open. Everything other than. So he's dominant, but he doesn't win majors. Yeah. Pretty much is what it is. And, and that's, I mean, that's been the story of his career. That's always been the knock on him is, you know, he's kind of, he, 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 this was, I don't remember the exact number, but he's held the 54 hole lead going into Sunday at majors before, and he's never been able to finish. He's never been able to finish as dominantly as he did yesterday at Augusta. And the he's changing, he's changing the narrative around himself. He is. And that's and that's the that's the thing that I am happy about is that we have seen a player who finally is getting over that hump that the knock on him. You can I mean, is it fair to say that there isn't a knock or or do you also have to recognize where I I say there wasn't much drama is from Thursday until he was he was a leader. He was the best player on the course. And to have a minus 20 at at one point, like there was no pressure for Dustin Johnson to have to play out of in my mind. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point there was a kind of um, inevitability. I think when it came to a certain point on Sunday, just when it, uh, you realize that neither Cam 
Cam Smith, the Australian, or Sunjay M was going to be able to catch them. Both of them finished, I think, 14 under. Um, both of them were trying to make a charge in that final grouping with DJ. But when you look, I think, at Friday and Saturday, especially given the kind of weird staggered starts and, you know, players having to play, you know, eight or nine holes before their full rounds later in the day, it was just very weird. It just had, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we knew it was going to be weird. We're playing a Masters in November, right? <laughs> but given the weather delay on Thursday morning, I don't think anybody expected it to be this weird just in the actual format of the tournament and of when players were playing certain holes. Having the start with, you know, not even – I'm not even talking about the split tees where, you know, you have some players going off one, some players going off ten. Having to stop your round at the tenth hole – come back and start the next morning on the same round on Amen Corner, that is challenging. That is a daunting task for any golfer. Having to play those three holes back to back to back is hard enough. Having to start your round after, you know, leaving it off the day before, that's even harder. And I think to to dominate the way DJ did throughout this weekend, you know, he there were certain times, I think it was, um, I want to say Friday, where he had a pretty hot start and then kind of cooled off, bogeyed a couple down the stretch and just couldn't really put anything away where it was like, okay, he might make a run, but you know, this is the same DJ we're used to seeing where he's not going to be able to finish. He's not really going to be able to distance himself like he has say in the tour championship, where I think he won by something like 13 or 18 strokes, a ridiculous number back in August uh, to win the, to win the FedEx cup, which is why he's number one in the world. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, the way he kind of from the second he eagled two on Sunday, it was just kind of like, okay, here he comes, here he uh-huh. comes. He's he's ready to put these doubts to bed, and you know, I think for a lot of golfers, obviously the Masters is the number one. It's you know, it's the Masters, right? Uh-huh. It's a tradition unlike any other. It's the green jacket. I mean, having Tiger Woods put that green jacket on you, sure, I'm sure felt incredibly special. Um, but, you know, he's a South Carolina guy. He's a Southern boy. You know, this is the one he grew up wanting to get, and he finally got it. And it's – I almost feel bad for him because he's only – I'm curious if um, Augusta is going to let him – because, you know, you can only take the green jacket off off the grounds for the free the first year – uh, after you win i'm curious if they're going to extend that a little bit because he will have to put it on somebody else come april when they play the 2021 masters on schedule which is crazy to think that that's the next major is this back-to-back yeah. masters uh i'm he not did, complaining yeah no no he did get a five-shot victory lowest score ever in tournament history and it was beautiful to see him you know kind of tear up i think that emotion when when someone shows emotion I feel like that's one of those things that I really – you, he's you really known, know what he's he gets He's known for not being the emotional Emotional, guy. He's yeah. He's known for being the stoic guy, the I'm just going to go out there and do my job. And He's whatever. vanilla, so, and he gave us some chocolate. He's vanilla, yeah. and he gave us some chocolate. Yeah. Um, I was really excited to see it. I also, for Tiger Woods, who uh, you know didn't have his best tournament but didn't miss the cut, Birdieing five of the last six holes was like, okay, I'm going to finish strong. And I like to see that as well. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, you're always rooting for Tiger. I think at this point 
he you know, after that <laughs> first day he had there was a little bit of hope inside you like uh uh could it happen could he go back to back and and tie jack there with six but i mean watching that ball bounce not even the first one not even the first one on 12 but after he came back down to the drop zone instead of taking another tee shot and he drops it very nicely into the pin and it just starts rolling it just starts rolling and rolling and rolling and all of a sudden boom we're back in the creek again and he's laying you know six at that point he goes into the bunker comes out of the bunker oh back into the water i mean it was just remarkable what's that 10 on minus 10 on one hole 10 like that was just yeah I mean, I don't, I don't give myself tens, <laughs> right? When I'm playing, we're maxing out a triple. I don't care. I don't care. I'm picking up after a triple bogey. You can't do that on the tour. You can't do that at the Masters. And so to see him put up a ten, the highest score on any hole of his PGA career, I mean, that's remarkable. And it has to be the most Tiger thing to come out and just put up an absolute dominating performance. The rest of the back nine. I mean, he must have been so motivated, so angry after that debacle on 12. And the way he channeled that and the way he put it out, I think, you know, if anybody wanted to say, oh, you know, he had that septuple bogey, he fell out of contention late, you know, didn't really have his best stuff on Sunday. I think the way he bounced back immediately after that 10, I think showed a lot of people that just because he didn't have his best stuff throughout the weekend, he's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Um, it, it was beautiful to see. And, and I think that, you know, I, I don't know, is it, it who's passing the torch to who? You know, we talked about your guy. Well, not your guy. I'm just facetiously saying that. But Bryson DeChambeau just I didn't was, seem to right. have it. Huh? You were right. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't seem like it, it was it was going to be his day from the from the beginning, and just you know, the the power did not overcome the master, so to speak. Yeah, and I think as a fan of the game of golf, as a fan, uh, as a devoted fan of the Masters and Augusta Golf Club, that's what you wanted to see, right? You <laughs> wanted to see Augusta win. And Augusta dominated, right? You're talking about a guy who comes into the press conference; he's sitting there with a perfectly straight face and says, yeah, my par on this golf course is 67. <laughs> well, guess what, buddy? You're 18 over for the weekend. Yeah. 18 over for the weekend. And the thing is, when you are not a um, – how do I want to say it? Who is a fan of his? So no one wants to really see him do well, and that's unfortunate to say I, it I don't that know way. But that. no? No? I, don't, I think there are certain people that – you know, like him. Um, I'm interested to see him do well. I think it's intriguing when he goes out and does what he does at winged foot in the U S open, but to do it at the masters and to do it at Augusta is a different animal altogether. And, you know, I think there are certain people around the game, certain fans breathing a heavy sigh of relief after seeing him completely out of contention for the entire weekend. Uh, to go back to Dustin Johnson, it's his first win, first to win the Masters by five strokes since Tiger Woods in 1997. Tied Tiger Woods for best final round outright with 54-hole leader in Masters history. Best score to par in Masters, Masters history at minus 20 and fewest bogeys by a Masters winner with four. So he was really good. And, and I, I guess, you know, 
that's not my kind of game. I, I want to see drama. I want to see something in those last four holes where, you know, there's a charge and there just wasn't. And it was just, I mean, I guess also because the Masters were in November, it just, did it look different to you watching it as well? A little bit. I mean, I certainly agree where I'm never going to be upset to have a little bit of drama, to have, you know, somebody needing to make a shot on 18 to win it or tie it or send it to a playoff, whatever. Um, I think it was, you know, we talked about DJ's stoic nature, right? I think it was a very DJ win to just kind of, you know, calmly destroy everybody else. (laughs) Calmly destroy. I like how you said that. Okay. uh, Thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate it. Uh, we, I've got one more topic to get to before we bring in Dexter Henry. He's going to talk some NBA with us. Uh, Major League Baseball has a has an opportunity to not only stay in the news, but probably the biggest news in their history in an offseason ever. The Miami Marlins are hiring Kim Ang as their new general manager. She will be the first female GM, not just in Major League Baseball, but in the history of sports. She she was on the Major League Baseball staff as a senior VP of baseball operations for for the past nine years. But she's also been an assistant GM for the Yankees and the Dodgers. Um, Three World Series titles to her resume. Eight playoff appearances to her resume. And I wonder if for her, it really is about, I just want to be known as a general manager. That's the first thought that came to my mind when I saw the news come across the ticker that she was hired is, I think about Doug Williams saying, I don't want to be known as a black quarterback that won the Super Bowl, I want to be known as a quarterback that won the Super Bowl. The quote from Kim Ang, quote, I enter Major League Baseball as an intern after decades of determination. It is the honor of my career to lead the Miami Marlins as their next general manager. We are building for the long term in South Florida, developing a forward thinking, collaborative, creative baseball operation made up of incredibly talented, and dedicated staff who have, over the last few years, laid a ground, a great foundation for success. This challenge is one I don't take lightly. When I got into this business, it seemed unlikely a woman would lead a major league team, but I am dogged in the pursuit of my goals. My goal is now to bring championship baseball to Miami. I am both humbled and eager to continue building the winning culture our fans expect and deserve. And she has some history with Derek Jeter, uh, as she was part of the, you know, looking back on how she's also someone who Derek Jeter was doing something that um, he he w- was there when she was with Brian Cashman as an assistant GM. And for Derek Jeter to take over the Marlins, it was like, who is this Hall of Fame shortstop taking over the team and basically, you know, getting rid of Giancarlo Stanton and uh, changing the franchise um, and almost wiping the slate clean and starting over? 
you know, thinking that he could have had, uh, you know, players that were already in the organization that were relative stars just saying, I don't want them. I want to build my own team. And they were in the playoffs. Already, the Miami Marlins are showing that they are a team to be reckoned with. Granted, they were only two games over 500 at 31 and 29, but they're still, they're building and heading in the right direction. And I love the history that they have made with hiring her as a general manager. A guy I love coming up next is Dexter Henry. And we're going to talk NBA offseason. Has it been the offseason that I was looking forward to? I don't know. I mean, what news are you excited by? Probably so far, Anthony Davis opting out for a year. Um, Lakers and Thunder uh, agree in principle to trade Dennis Schroeder. I think, you know, I, you heard me when the Lakers won the championship talking about how Rajon Rondo is really, to me, that unsung hero for the Los Angeles Lakers, and they needed a point guard. And I want to start there as Dexter is here. Thank you very much for joining me, Dexter. Uh, It ain't hard to tell that the Lakers needed a point (laughs) guard and they got one, right? (laughs) Yeah, look, they they needed one. and, And the point guard market in free agency is very slim. You know, I mean, when you look at it, they could have maybe went after Derrick Rose talking about the Lakers. He only makes $7.7 million expiring contract. But this Dennis Schroeder deal, I I like it, man. It it was good. Now, it'll be nice to see, can they also still bring back Rondo to be a guy coming off the bench, whether you star him or Schroeder, take some pressure off LeBron as well, too. It would be nice. But if you can't, you got a guy who can penetrate, who also can shoot. Uh, was had his best shooting career uh, season of his career last season uh, from three. So I think it's better because what we saw from Danny Green is he wasn't making any shots in the playoffs. Uh, Danny Green was 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 awful. Now you lose some of his defense, but the Lakers should get Avery Bradley back. So we'll see. But I like this move for the Lakers. Um, not a sexy move, not a big move, but it was a necessary move that they can get another ball handler, somebody that can also still score with the ball in their hands and take some of that pressure off LeBron. And it's good insurance in case they don't bring back Rondo. And I also like the thought of him playing with Chris Paul. Sometimes they were on the floor together. Sometimes he was just backing him up. But learning from someone like Chris Paul only adds to Dennis Schroeder's resume that I'm sure if LeBron made a phone call, because I like to joke that he is a GM and team president and on the court, that it's just like, you know, hey, if you vouch for him and you think this is a point guard we need on this team, then, yeah, we want to bring him in because we want to win back-to-back. Now, my question is, sticking with the Lakers, what does it say about Anthony Davis opting out, right? I mean, it could have been easy for him to say, no, I'm just going to stay with the Lakers. I'll take this deal, and we will go and see what happens next year. But he wants the money now. How will this possibly affect 
what happens with the Los Angeles Lakers? And could you see Anthony Davis somehow ending up on another team? Because now in his mind, he's like, hey, I got the ring now. I'm an NBA championship. Let me see what other teams may offer. I'd be, I mean, I think he'll listen, but I'd be shocked if he if he left. I think he's going back to the Lakers. I think it'll be on a short-term deal. It could, now the question is, will it be a one plus one or will it be a two plus one? I think that's the thing. He wants to stay in the same timeline as LeBron. It is. I think the bigger the bigger question is, Jim, okay, two years from now, possibly, when LeBron's contract is up, does he say, I'm out, you know, because he looks at the Lakers, maybe says they don't have enough pieces here. But I think right now he knows playing with LeBron, uh, more will be required of him next season. I think he knows that this is his best chance to win. Um, so I expect him to, to get a shorter-term deal with the Lakers and re-up. Now, look. It's the NBA, man. <laughs> like, kind of to the point that you're making, you never know, right? Like you never know what can happen here. Uh, things can get really crazy. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe my New York Knicks can somehow get involved in this. Yeah, that's a, that's a pipe dream. That's not happening. <laughs> but you know, I, I think he's going back to the Lakers. On everything is set up. They gave up the farm for you. It's 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 set up for him to come back. But I think on a short term deal, I don't think he'll sign like a four year deal. I think it'll be a one and one or a two plus one for Anthony Davis. My wild, bold prediction is he's going to go back to the New Orleans Pelicans after he wins another championship with the Lakers, team up wow. with Zion Williamson, and he'll, he's going to follow LeBron. LeBron, you know, went back home, Cleveland, win them a championship. He's a mea culpa, New Orleans. Here, I'm coming back, and I'm going to help huh. you win the championship, which we'll see if that happens. What do you think of what's going on with the Rockets? And so, Harden yeah. and Westbrook, and Harden talking about maybe coming to Brooklyn, huh? So – if we take it in terms of the Rockets, I'm not really surprised, Jamoke. I mean, this team, it kind of was a sinking ship. You know, you saw D'Antoni. He doesn't come back. Daryl Morey's out, jumps quickly to Philadelphia. Um, and we know, we've heard all this stuff about Tillman Fertitta and him not willing to spend the money. So I wasn't shocked when the reports came out that said, hey, these guys are not sure about the direction of the team. Um, now, look, if, I'm, if, if I was running the Rockets, I absolutely would be trying to get, get off the Westbrook contract. He doesn't have much value for them. I don't see that team as being better than fifth in the conference, uh, in the Western Conference, that is, next year. But if the Rockets are really going to go all in and rebuild, then you've got to change tra trade James Harden. He's 31. He's still in his prime, still an elite player, uh, and he'll get, get you back a decent amount if you put him on the trade market. Now, in terms of the Brooklyn stuff <laughs> and him coming to Brooklyn, I spoke with some people – around and close to the Nets who, who told me, look, these talks are real. They're really exploring it. Um, in fact, one person said to me, they think that this is close to happening. Uh, I talked to Yeah, they think it could be close to happening. Everything is on hold right now. What's interesting is they, they would like to, if they get this done, is before the, uh, the draft comes because both teams would be in freeze mode in terms of assets they can move. So they'd like to at least agree to something before uh, the draft gets done. Now, how close it is, I don't know, but the, these talks definitely are real. I can definitely confirm that. The talks are definitely real. Um, do I think it's a good move? For Houston, <laughs> yeah. For Brooklyn, no. And the oh, reason, really? Yeah, wow. really. Here's why. I, I just think who is going to – how are you going to share the ball? With KD, and we still don't know what KD is going to be fully. I think that's something people should look at more. Kyrie, who dominates the ball, and Harden, who also dominates the ball. Harden, who also does nothing when he doesn't have the ball. And you're adding three stars uh, for 
to, to, to come in and, and have Steve Nash handle this as a rookie head coach. Yeah. That's a lot, man. I, and while I like that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I, I see we got some news while we're talking here that, that uh, may, may, have, may have came out. Chris Paul to Phoenix is being finalized right now per Woes and Shams. Uh, thank so, you, Bo, for sharing that in my chat as that. well. That's what you got too? Yeah, I got that too. I got you about that. So thank you both for being on that and, and letting us know. And see, this, we're, we're right now in the start of this great season of offseason. <laughs> Today is the first day of trades when we're talking about this. And, you know, now all the free agency stuff will be coming up soon after the draft. So, yeah, right into it. Um, Chris Paul going to Phoenix. Yeah, that's that's if you want to talk about that, Jamal. Yeah, I figured you so do. The, the thing is, I, I do because you know, I remember that that was a rumor going, you know, probably into the weekend that it was going to happen. And I was like, it is a good deal for Phoenix, who I mean, we know the 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 being undefeated in the bubble, everyone was talking about the future of this team, that they might be the future of the the NBA in terms of a young up-and-coming team in the West. And I think if you lose a team like Houston who's going to rebuild and you can have someone like Chris Paul to help Devin Booker understand what it takes to win, help a DeAndre Ayton and a Kelly Oubre, that is a solid team with a, with a great, great leader in Chris Paul who, in my mind, I can't act like I don't always talk about how he underachieves in the playoffs. It only went to the Western Conference Finals once. That was with Houston and James Harden. But still, I love the move. Yeah, I love. I'm I'm a big Chris Paul fan. Love the move. Um, and some more. This is per Shams. Just going to say this as this news is coming out. So the deal would be Rubio, Ubre, oh, Ty Jerome. I knew Oubre had to go in this deal. He was going to go. Jalen Legu and draft picks. For, uh, this would be for Paul. Uh, thanks to our man, Bo, also giving us that information in real time. Um, so what I think about this deal is, look, it's good for both teams, actually, Jamoke. I know you said it's good for the Suns, but I think it's good for both teams, right? Because you get some cap flexibility if you're OKC with uh, shorter-term contracts for Rubio and also Kelly Oubre, who's a very valuable player as well, too, that I think they could fit uh, very well in what they can do. They're also going to get, um, obviously, uh, pick as as well too uh from from the suns but you hit the nail on the head when you talked about what paul can do for them it doesn't make phoenix a championship contender but it kind of puts them where you can say hey i can really see this team in the back end of the western conference for the playoffs and this is a team where you start building the culture right mm -hmm. you can really build that culture and you can show the guys how to win it also takes the ball out of devin booker's hands the ball's been in his hands a lot the last couple of years. We know Chris Paul can run a team. You know, he wants people where they want to be, and he will hold guys accountable. So I think this is good for the young guys on the team. You also mentioned DeAndre Aiden. I think it's great for him as well, too. And it's something that could be, for two years, this can really set the culture and move the Suns forward into a place, even when Chris Paul is gone and retired, that they're in a good place where Devin Booker now feels like he can lead this team and and uh, DeAndre Ayton also can feel the same way, and if they can add in other pieces. So I think this is a good move for the Suns. I really wanted, was hoping Chris Paul can get to a championship contender, maybe a la Milwaukee, but I thought that was going to be tough. Um, but I think this is a place where Chris Paul can thrive. He will take that team to another level, not championship level, but I think they're definitely, uh, you can definitely talk about the playoffs with, with the Suns. And uh, that would be a 2022 first-round pick 
that the uh, Thunder would get in that deal. The only thing that makes me sad, and I've been very critical of him, is I think that the window closed for Oklahoma City when he broke up Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. And, and, and then I think you could throw in Serge Ibaka. And I think since then, he's almost been chasing, uh, Sam Presti has, has almost been chasing, let me find that next core. And Chris Paul brought something to that team that no one expected them ever, ever to be in the playoffs. And that was due to Chris Paul. And you gave it up already for uh, – and maybe Chris Paul was like, yo, I don't want to be there anymore. And it was – you had to trade him. But I feel like it's a situation where they take it a step back and Oklahoma City will never get back there. It's not a free agent destination that people are like, I'm dying to get back to Oklahoma City. And it's just going to be now this circle of – we went a little bit, then we're back to rebuilding. We went a little bit, we're back to rebuilding. And that's it. That's all I see for Oklahoma City. But see, to that point, I think you're right, Joe. Okay, it's never going to be a creation destination. But what I will give Sam Presley credit for is while I agree with you, I think the mistake was in trading James Harden. Or really, when you look at it, to pay to not pay James Harden and paying Serge Ibaka, that's really yeah. what they did back in 2012. And had they stayed and kept those three stars together, who knows what they could have been? And he and I think Sam Presti, if you gave him some truth serum, he would tell you I made a mistake on that. Because <laughs> of that, and because of that, and the points that you make, Chris Paul's value was probably never going to be higher at this stage in his career as it was after this season. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I like the idea to trade him now. Now the OK the OKC they have sixteen, I believe, first round picks between now and twenty twenty six. They got a great haul uh, for Westbrook. They got a great haul for Paul George. They actually got something for Chris Paul. Uh, also, don't don't be shocked if they also try to move Stephen Adams over the next couple of days. I can oh, definitely no. see that. Our University uh, of Pittsburgh our University guy. Of Pitt guy. Yeah, oh, our Pitt guy. Um, I wouldn't be shocked at that. They could probably get a first for him. They have they. I think what he's going to try to do. You made a point about him chasing that. They have to try to find that next core. They, they have, have to try to either draft guys that they hope are as good as what Durant. Westbrook and Hardness. Now, look, those are those are three MVPs, and you're probably never maybe going to hit something like that again. Probably that might be once in a generation of working a job as a GM. But I think they have enough pieces to try to aggressively try to either go for a star, a disgruntled star down the road, uh, try to draft a couple themselves. Sam Presti's doing what he can. He's in KC. Mm-hmm. He's not in NYC, in LA. He's not Miami. <laughs> People are not exactly designing dying to go live in Oklahoma City. No disrespect to Oklahoma City, but I think he's doing the best he can in gathering as much assets as he can and knowing, like, look, we have to rebuild. The other thing you know about OKC and why they were rebuilding, Jamoke, they just coach. I'm forgetting his name. No no disrespect yeah, to him. Yeah, I know, right? But they, <laughs> they hired the cheapest coach they could get that was on their staff and was like, let's get a developmental guy that can rebuild. So I think they're focused on the rebuilding, and they did it at the right time. So – We'll see how it works. Now, will they, will they ever get back there? I think that's a fair point you bring up. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever be good as 2011, 2012 that we saw with the t- Thunder. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. But you got to try somehow, and you got to sell your assets, uh, uh, you know, when you can. Uh, Mark, Mark, Mark Dagnall. Dagnall. Yeah. Sorry, Dagnall. Mark. Did, forgot yeah. your name. Forgot your name. We'll know it now. <laughs> Here's the other thing that I think, when I think of Sam Pressy, I feel like he's the Billy Bean of the NBA. 
that the Oakland Athletics have never gotten over there. Everyone else gets mm. credit for being like a, a different kind of analytical uh, GM when it was really Billy Bean who started it. And everybody at the beginning says Sam Presti had a different mind in the way he was building that team. And now you look at a Daryl Morey and it's like, ooh, look what Daryl Morey's doing. And now he, which of course Harden may be going to the Sixers. I remember them talking about that in the mm-hmm. trade. Let's move on to NBA draft. What is your yeah. thoughts on the draft this year? It used to always be in your hometown of New York. Now it's this virtual draft. And I don't know if LaMelo Ball really is the number one draft pick. Is he really that good coming out of playing in Australia? Versus going with a James Wiseman from Memphis or Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. What's your take? I don't. My take is I don't love anybody, right? And I don't love anybody really in this draft. I don't see a guy that's like I'm like, man, this is a, a can't miss bona fide superstar. I mean, the draft is always a crapshoot, right? We never mm-hmm. know uh, with this stuff, but I don't see it in any of these guys. I think there's a lot of players that some that are really good. I think there's some all stars in here, but are there? nine, ten-time All-Stars, or are we talking about a two, three-time All-Star? There is a difference in that. And mm-hmm. I think uh, some of the players here are, are flawed. Now, in terms of the number one pick, if we go to that with Minnesota, they've got a tough decision to make because you're hearing a lot of stuff that they like ball, and you don't know what to make at this time of the year, but they also like Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards appears to be the better fit for them, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But LaMelo Ball – from what I've seen in Watts, and I was looking a lot because I heard a lot of interest from the Knicks and some other teams around them, you know, great athleticism, really good vision for his size. The shooting, not impressive uh, uh, to me, and that's going to be the part of his game that has to get better. And one thing I think we know about watching the NBA right now is, look, shooting is at a premium. you got to be able to shoot. And when you can't shoot, teams will defend you differently. Um, you know, th- th- I think the interesting thing is going to be, it's going to start from the jump. Who do the Timberwolves pick? And how does that affect everything else in the draft? What do the Warriors do it too? Are they trading that pick? Are they going to pick Wiseman, who seems like would be a decent fit for them, a guy you could plug in the center with the team that they have? What does Charlotte do with three? They've been rumored to want really want the mellow ball. They need a star there yeah, uh, yeah. As, as well too. So it's 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 very interesting, um, you know, what's going to happen in this draft. But I don't love anybody. I'll say that. I I don't love anybody either. The team that I am most impressed with, and it wasn't uh, – well, I guess I don't know if impressed is the right word. I, I shouldn't have used that word. But I am amazed at Golden State, who we're almost acting as if they are this awful team with the number two pick, and yet they're going to have two Hall of Famers on their team, maybe three for some people who think Draymond Green is – I think he's overrated, but as it showed last year – but, you know, they're going to have a team that can very well contend for the NBA championship and the number two pick. And possibly, you know, if you get I feel like if you get a James Wiseman, you know, you're getting somebody who you can immediately put in and could, you know, play well for Golden State. And, and that's the player that I'm that I feel like. For any of the draft picks, not so much the teams, they're like, please let me go to Golden State. Please let me go to Golden State. We're gonna we're gonna continue for a championship and playing with Steph Curry. Like you can't beat that. Yeah, if I'm Wiseman, that's where I want to go. You ready to hear about why Wiseman's been ducking Minnesota? Doesn't want to work <laughs> out for them. Um, and it makes sense. I don't think it's because it's a shot at Minnesota. He just doesn't want to play next to Carlton Towns. He's like, look, they already have a big Golden State. I fit perfectly into if you're Wiseman, and 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 there's a less pressure on him. He goes there. He'll be in what's likely a winning situation. He'll just be asked to 
defend, rim run, and, mm-hmm. you know, they'll work on expanding his game. That's been kind of the thing about him. His scouts have said is that he tries to shoot a lot from the outside. And, you know, if he's he's really good inside, if they can work on his game inside and he rebounds, block shots, plays defense, he fits perfectly in there. He's all the time to develop, develop, and maybe he's the transition when Curry and Clay and Draymond are gone and retired. He's that player you can build around and transition possibly. So I feel like if the if the Warriors are going to keep the pick, he's a great fit for them. He's kind of what they need to plug in there. Um, it's just can they bring him along and what can you expect of him in year one? But he won't have the pressure that some of the other top picks would have. Is there a – and as you talk about being impressive, they may not be as impressive as a top pick, but is there a sleeper player – in this draft that you're like, ooh, if, if they win, wherever they go, you're like, they got a good guy, you know, uh, whether it's Emmanuel quickly or RJ Hampton, you know, what is your take? A guy who's rising up on a lot of mocks. And I watched some stuff on him, uh, maybe about within the last month, a couple of times, uh, Kyra Lewis from Alabama point guard. Um, I really like him. I have a little bit of concerns about his size, but, and his ability, he finishes decently, but he's really quick. Like De'Aaron Fox almost quick. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the quickest players in this draft. The shot could get better from the outside, but I think if he's put in the right situation and somebody he gets the right work and development, I could see him being a steal for somebody um, there as well, too. I also – I know this guy's mentioned very highly, but there's a lot of different takes on this guy, too. Tyrese uh, – ha- Tyreek Halliburton. 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 A lot of people are concerned about his shot mechanics and stuff, but I think the kid can shoot. He looks like a heady player. Um, I think whoever gets him running his team, I don't know if he's a star star, but I look, he looks at least be a solid NBA point guard. You know, look, you, you don't know with a lot of these guys, you know, and if it's your team, whoever you root for, you're just hoping that you find a diamond in the rough. They make the right pick. Um, you know, I, I just don't think there's a lot of clear cut, huge star power in this draft, but we could be wrong. The thing you want to do is if you're in middle of the lottery, you want to find that steal. Yeah. Whether it's not, I'm talking about a, a, a Kira, Kira Lewis. I also think a Trey Jones from Duke is somebody that could be a steal in this draft. Maybe he's a low-end starting point guard in this league, but somebody who could be solid, run your team, maybe mm-hmm. even a good backup. That's a value pick. Uh, Malachi Flynn from San Diego State's another guy I've been looking at and, and liking his game a little bit too. Um, so I think there's some value. I think there's a you'll find some good rotation players. Mm-hmm. Not what people want here at the top of the draft. Yeah, (laughs) I think you'll find some good rotation players in this draft for sure. Thanks, Dexter. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk to you. No matter what, the draft is going to be fun and interesting because it's going to be the first virtual one. Uh, And and the first one that I'm not actually physically there in in a long time. So, yeah, it will be. be. I'm hoping it's the first one the Knicks don't mess up either. That's (laughs) who you think the Knicks are going to pick. Who do you want them to pick? I, I want them to take a point guard. Uh, with one of their top picks. Um, so I'm hoping to get K- Hayes or, or Halliburton. Hayes. That's kinda, okay. Yeah, that's kind of the hope. I have okay. a little concerns about both, but that's kind of the hope. But we'll see. You know, they always find a way to mess it up. So. Yeah, they always find a way to mess it up. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Dexter. Okay. We'll Appreciate catch up uh, before the NBA season gets started because that's right around the corner as well. So I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Yeah, man, we'll talk soon. Thank you, man. All right, take care. Peace. Uh, of course, as you know, I'm from Washington and – you know, the Washington Wizards pick ninth, and that's going to be interesting to see who they pick. We've got, we've had a long show. I hope you really uh, have enjoyed as much as I have, and there's some things that I left on the table. I didn't get to my story time, sports you don't care about, my news about – I'm just going to say it quickly. Congratulations to the Mumbai Indians. They're the 
uh, Indian Premier League champions in cricket. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time Formula One world champion. That's right, tied Michael Schumacher for another record. Uh, and I'm sure next year, how could he not get eight? He's amazing. He is just simply amazing. And the All Blacks, they lost to a team in Argentina. And now they're talking about heads rolling in rugby, all because of one loss to a team that you never expected to even know they know how to play rugby. I'm learning things. Argentinian, Argentinians play rugby. So that's my sports you don't care about. Uh, Devil's Advocate. I talked about it a little bit earlier. And it's about dominance being boring. Dustin Johnson, to me, was boring. And then I had to think about it and like, okay, is that fair to say? And it's like, well, I just like drama. That's my thing is I just like drama. And I felt like there wasn't any drama. When UConn was dominating college basketball, was there any drama? Not really. But now that you see a South Carolina getting in the mix, you know, Stanford was in the mix, Notre Dame in the mix. Now you're like, ooh, women's college basketball has some drama. The Golden State Warriors, all of a sudden LeBron James goes to Cleveland. You're like, oh, snap. Now they beat them in the championship in game seven in Golden State. Then, you know, so then you've got some drama there and Golden State isn't so much a dynasty. Although I guess you could say then LeBron became a dynasty. The Patriots, some people love what the Patriots were doing over that long period of time. And then others are like, no, I like that there were other teams sprinkled in there. But could you imagine if the Patriots just won championship after championship? I don't know. I guess in the end that I like, if you ask me if I want parity over dominance, I like the parity. I like it more even. I like that you don't know who's going to win an event, you know, in tennis. You knew that everyone, it was going to be either Rafa Nadal or it was going to be Roger Federer or it was going to be Novak Djokovic. And on the women's side, it was Serena Williams. I like that there is some level of competition that doesn't make you have to say, oh, that player is definitely going to win. And the funny thing is, for all of the talk of Bryson DeChambeau to be the overall favorite to win the Masters, as I was listening to different people talk up until Thursday, all I kept hearing was Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson. And sure enough, what happened? Dustin Johnson's won. Congratulations to him. I didn't enjoy the Masters as much, but I enjoyed it for what it was, that it was golf in November that you never expected to be watching down in Augusta. I even bought a bunch of 2020 gear because Lee Elder, as I end this, with uh, a story time. Lee Elder was honored at the Masters. He was the first black player to participate in the Masters. And that was a story that's very close to me. Lee Elder changed my life in a way he never expected to. And I never understood who Lee Elder was in how he related to me at that age. But my dad, who I owe so much to in my life, and he'll be on on Thursday as we get back into English Premier League. My dad, one day riding in the car with me when I was a little young teenager, 
said, uh, hey, so Lee Elder Sports Management, you know, was just on a radio station in Washington, D.C. called WPFW, and they were looking for a young journalist. And I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, in, in leaving high school. Um, I knew that I played tennis and I played basketball. I had quit high school basketball, but still played high school tennis, and I was considering playing in college. But I knew that journalism was something that I was also interested in, in being a sports journalist. And so he tells me about this contest from the Lee Elder Sports Management Association that they were looking for a young journalists, and you had to write an essay why you should be, why you could go to the Olympics and cover the Olympics. And my dad pushed me and pushed me to write the essay. And so I wrote the essay. Um, and lo and behold, uh, months later, I was flying on a plane to cover the 1988 Olympics. And, you know, at that time, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I wasn't in high school yet. I, well, I, I know I just, I kind of mixed two stories there. I was thinking about what I wanted to do in terms of, was I going to play high school sports? And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so there I was in Seoul, Korea, covering Roy Jones Jr. losing in the gold medal game. That was a year before the dream team and the, and the college players lost to um, uh, the Russians in basketball. Steffi Graf won the golden slam then. She won all four tennis majors Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. And that year, she won the gold medal at the Olympics. And to this day, I will never forget what he did for me and his wife, Rose Elder, who was on the trip and really the person who kind of helped groom me, along with Harry Davis, who was a, a photog for NBC4 the, in the NBC station in D.C., and I would do stand-ups. You know, uh, I sat, I didn't get to meet him, but I sat a few rows behind Bryant Gumble, and I watched him do the opening ceremonies. And it really gave me an inspiration to be in many ways where I am today. It didn't matter what station I worked for, whether it was on a computer, live on Twitch and YouTube. I didn't know that stuff then. Who did? But in many ways, he shaped where... I am today, and I'm thankful for him and what he and his wife Rose Elder did, and for my dad for pushing me. But to see him being honored by the Masters, it just hit home, and it made it a little more special this year in 2020. Um, so thank you to that, uh, for, for the moments that I shared, to that time in my life, and how today it still rings true and gives me a chance to reflect on where I have been and where I am now, right here on the Props Network, just for sport. That'll do it for the show. Thank you to Dexter Henry for joining me. Thank you, of course, as always, to Bo. He knows college football, and we talk a little golf as well. It's a lot of fun. You know what I'm about to say, everybody. Ciao for now.